This is the Leadership and Insurance Podcast, brought to you by FinPro Search Partners. Insurance companies are businesses and they need to look for the long term and be sustainable. We went from zero to one and now it's going from one to a hundred. Insurance as, as a concept, as a kind of service, is brilliant. The execution is what we're looking at now. I think the companies that are going to succeed are the ones that are going to understand and master the art of intent. When we talk about innovation, we lean too heavily to think about technology and we don't think about creating a culture of innovation. I think innovation is essentially continuous improvement of existing processes and platforms and product, right? It's got to be easy. It's got to be seamless. Good afternoon and welcome to the Emerging Tech Series of the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Savage, and this is the podcast where we speak to technology founders, executives and leaders from the world of InsureTech. Today, I'm very lucky to be joined by CTO of Delos Insurance Solutions, Eric. Eric, welcome. How are you doing? Thank you. Hi, Gavin. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Doing great. Good, good. Good, good, and um, yeah, it's the it's the ruse of the morning for you over there. It's uh, Friday Friday evening actually, so um, over here in the UK, but um, so your day is just beginning. Yeah, in the US, we're just beginning our last day of the week, and uh, off to the weekend. Yeah, and you you recently moved um, from our initial conversation. You moved back, well, moved to a bit more of a um, quaint part of the world, away from the madness of San Francisco. Is that right? Yeah, so yeah, I originally came to San Francisco area in 2017 and okay. worked at Hippo Insurance back then, the first InsurTech back then. And at some point, we decided to move to central US to to Austin about two and a half, two years ago, two, two and a half years ago. And yeah, we found ourselves in Texas here and enjoying every moment. Very nice. Very nice. Well, uh, Eric, before we begin, um, I think a nice place to always start on a podcast is to talk a little bit about your journey and your journey as a, as a whole into, I guess, not just tech. Um, you've had a, you know, a lot of the guests on here doing in the tech series traditionally haven't come from insurance or insure tech, but you've had a an exciting career so far in, in this world. Delos is not your first venture in the space. So, yeah, can you hear about your journey into tech as a whole going way back and, uh and and how you ended up in the world of insure tech? Yeah, cool. Yeah, so believe it or not, originally I wanted to be a doctor. Okay. And that was my dream. And kind of missed that opportunity, missed a few points on the SAT. So went to the second favorite thing I second favorite uh, thing I liked, which was computer science and math. I don't know how they connect, but in my mind they did. Uh, so I finished my degree, and the funny thing is, my first job back in Israel in 2004 was in an insurance company uh, uh, with a new project that tried to create for life and health insurance. I didn't know anything about insurance, I didn't know anything about coding as well, right? Fresh out of university, you don't know anything about anything. But it was interesting, and you know that what goes around comes around, right? So I started my career as an engineer. And through different tech companies, and then an opportunity. I worked at HP for seven years at HP Software back in Israel as a team manager, eventually as a group manager, and then eventually uh, an opportunity arise. Um, when talking to a founder, uh, Jan Navon who was the co-founder of of Hippo Insurance, through some acquaintance, and he said, "You know what? 
let's let's try do you want to come to the us and try to join a startup i never worked in a startup before i worked in bigger companies and i said talk to my wife i said yeah let's let's do it we packed our three kids and some suitcases and wow. in three months we landed in san francisco airport without understanding what to do <laughs> and, and join a startup uh, after round a back in 2017 and uh, we said what can what can happen, right? Worst case scenario, we enjoyed a trip to the US for a few months, did some sightseeing and went back home. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I joined a startup in SureTech and found myself in the making of what we hope to be the new generation of InsureTech, uh, of insurance, right? Insurance, we all know it's a very um, legit and, and old uh, industry back to the 1800s or even before that, but in the US, it's been the 1800s very slow moving but essential for everything and we try to bring new blood we can argue about the success of the insurtech what we call the insurtech 1.0 but it was an adventure it was an amazing adventure we rapidly grew and at some point i decided that um, let's try something new join credit karma which was on the verge of i didn't know that by being bought by into it so it was fun as well and when I moved to Texas, I found myself consulting to other companies, and one of them asked me to join, which is Dallas. Although I promised myself I will never go back to startups because it's a lot of work, and you know, I'm already uh, uh, done my part of you know, four years in a startup. It's kind of something appealed there, and and I said, okay, let's do it, and started from scratch again, which is I don't regret it. It's fun. It's fun, and it's interesting, and it's. InsureTech 2.0. So I have an opportunity to be in 1.0 and now I have an opportunity to do 2.0, which mm -hmm. is see if I can improve and improve stuff. Yeah, awesome, interesting. And 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 how would you kind of how would you regard 2.0? Like what's the what's the, the kind of how would you define that? So I think InsureTech 1.0 was bring the message to the customers, try to make the insurance. And I'm talking about specifically PNC, the Ch uh, personal. Yeah. I'm talking about like personal, uh, personal liability and homeowners and things like that, which are direct to consumer can be direct to consumer is to change the industry a bit, bring something new, bring new rates, bring new stuff. But I think the mindset was still of a Silicon Valley startup, meaning let's get as many customers as we can. Let's go as fast as we can. Let's get as much money in the door as we can. And not necessarily understanding the insurance all the way to understand like the product itself is much more sophisticated than just selling policies. At the end of the day, you're taking a risk. When you sell someone a policy, you're taking the risk. Is it a good risk? Is it a bad risk? That's for underwriting. So I think in InsureTech 1.0 was growth and money was invested by, by how much you grew. And people didn't understand what the risk of growing too fast. What is the risk of growing in places that you should not grow? And agents, which are the still everything mostly being sold by agents, agents, when they see an opportunity of someone selling insurance in a place that others do not, they'll buy it for the customers. They, they paid commission. They, at the end of the day, want, they want to sell insurance to their customers, to serve their customers and to make money out of it. So they're okay, you open the door, I'll run through the door. The main difference of, and we all know that InsureTech 1.0 nowadays is a bit, in a bit of a hurdle like it, they have their they have their difficulties with loss ratios and things like that so they're losing more money than they're making from premium mm -hmm. and they all go insurance company the same thing as mortgage companies and everything else is to make the money more than you actually lose or spend 
yeah. uh, on claim slash lost debt, et cetera, et cetera. I think the main difference with InsureTech 2.0 is we want to grow, but we are being measured by claim ratio, by loss ratio, by the risk we take. And if we take too much risk, they'll kick us uh, they'll kick us out. The carriers, the reinsurance will kick us out. Nobody wants to lose anymore. Nobody says, hey, you're bringing the, the new word from God. It, it, been then, done that, that's InsureTech 1.0. Yeah. So I think everything in 2.0 is grow responsibly, go with the right risk, and don't necessarily run and try to get the first million as fast as possible. And that's the main difference. It's a lot of underwriting. It's a lot of what are we doing to serve best the customer and the agent, but still not open doors that do not want people to enter. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I totally, totally agree. And um, I was just curious about what your definition, some have you know, different uh, journeys of the waves or, you know, insure type one, two, three, four, but, uh, but yeah, no, totally, um, totally, you know, it's been a, a paradigm shift and it's particularly the last 12 months um, in insure tech about that laser focus on profitability and businesses solving, you know, real problems and bringing more than just, for example, you know, as you say, the word of God or through the latest and greatest buzzword that is AI or, you know, blockchain or whatever, you know, um, solution it may or may not solve. It has to be a lot more of a, a granular level to the problem that they're solving and, and, and bringing that solution. So, yeah, no, just an interesting take to, to hear from you that's been through that first wave and then now very much on that second wave. And, and I guess on that, you've joined a hugely purpose-driven and and mission-driven um, startup in Delos Insurance Solutions. I mean, for the listeners, for those that don't know, could you briefly describe the the primary vi- mission, vision, and an approach of of Delos, please? Cool. Yeah. So, in a very thirty thousand feet, because most people don't know insurance, and not, and I don't blame them. It's not a super interesting industry, to be honest. Um, <laughs> the the insurance. Uh, industry in the homeowners uh, insurance divide into roughly two big buckets is the admitted business, which we all know, uh, State Farm, Progressive, uh, Geico, all the rest that sell insurance to you. Go up, you go, you create a, you go to your agent or go directly. You get a quote. They tell you yes, we're willing to insure your address, or they might say no, you are too risky for us. And not because your house is too old or your edge is too old, not because of what we call dwelling properties, but because where you live. You live in a flood zone, you live in a wildfire zone, a risk area, you live in a, I don't know, tornado alley or whatever risk, natural risk there is, what we call the admitted market is not willing to take the risk with you. So the words there, Dallas and other companies like Dallas come in, and we are what we call unadmitted uh, insurance MGA, and we are riding mainly in the wildfire uh, area. What we're doing basically, we have a propriety algorithm that is being uh, that is uh, was developed in one of the universities in California, incorporate, and we are cooperating with the professors there through some ex students of them, and we are able to take the coordinates of this specific location, the the latitude and longitude, and understand what is the real risk there by analyzing more than 200, 300 data points. To the level of how much fuel is in the ground, uh, what's the slope, what's the wind direction, what's the vegetation uh, mix there, if it is low brushes, if it's trees, how all the trees, 
and a lot of data points that allow us to understand better in a better granularity of of a very small square is this is this house actually a risk for wildfire or is it just because this area is risky everybody put a blanket cover and say this entire zip code is risky so we are we are allowing agents to quote with us and to bind policies with us that are deemed risky by the admitted industry but we are comfortable with the risk because again everything is a risk there's no risk free but we are comfortable with the wildfire risk they located in and able to write them the third bucket is the california fair plan and we are writing currently just in california the third bucket is the california fair plan which allows others to take to basically write almost any risk there for wildfire because at the end of the day if you're buying a house and you need a mortgage you have to have insurance that nobody will lend you money without it. So the fair plan is basically a state-sponsored insurance that's willing to take the risk. And I won't go into details of the difference product, but it's not the best product ever. And it's also not supposed to be a real live insurance entity. It's just a default if you can find anything. But unfortunately, in California, in these days, when more and more companies pulling out, it's becoming more and more the last resort, which is becoming the second resort or the third resort instead of the last resort. So this is where Dallas comes in and we're trying to offer a, a better product, a whole age of three, what we call a whole policy for your house, including everything, coverage A, coverage B, which is dwelling coverage and person, personal property and medical and et cetera, to your house, although others won't write you. And so our mission is to, to get as many people as we can to get a better product rather than the fair plan and basically getting a product and, and insure their house. Mm. Um, and yeah, so that's that's basically in a nutshell what the insurance yeah. and what where Dells comes in. Yeah, super interesting. And yeah, look, I mean the the I think everyone, unless you're living under a rock, you know, it's quite clear that the home insurance market in California is broken. Um, and that's um, it's just you know super interesting to hear how the, you guys are solving that problem with you know just which we'll get into that aspect of the market, but also you know the technology that's that's really super powering supercharging your solution um to the market on that and it's just fantastic to see the you know the the steps that you've made already in just such a short amount of time but again we'll we'll unpack quite a lot of um of that which you've touched upon but i think as well you know we saw we announced that finpro you know delos raised a very chunky uh, seed funding round um led by ia capital it's been a it's been an exciting time um, for you all at Delos, coupled with how much attention the, the climate risk space is rightfully receiving um, and insurance to try and solve the problem. But what's the what's that journey been like for you, you know, coming in again as a as a CTO to an even earlier stage than than Hippo, going through that growth stage with Hippo and yes, you know, Credit Karma, but then coming back. I mean, how's the how's the journey been for you so far coming in? Um I like starting things from scratch. And apparently I'm, I'm quite good at it and not the best, but make do. And then I try to hire the best people to work with me, which, which I successfully done up until now. So I think the journey here was basically from writing with a pen and a paper policies to a, we purchased a solution for our own program for future programs uh, and B create a portal for the agents and a way for agents to quickly get uh, to a quote, to a bind. I think the the one of the key elements 
in any interaction with agents. And we are just selling through agents because we are not going direct to consumer because of the nature, as I said, we are surplus, we are unadmitted, there are rules and restrictions. So we are going through agents. And so creating a solution for agents to be able to quickly quote with us, quickly uh, bind with us, buy a policy, serve the policy, compare rates through their systems and integrate with their systems. I think I found that uh, with HIPAA, we started basically with the direct-to-consumer journey. Then we created a portal for agents and then we integrated with agents. But agents were always like, we first, the mission was bring it to consumer. With Dells, it started with bring it to the agents and make it very, very usable. So we created a portal in about four or five months. And that was an amazing journey for me to start from scratch, knowing already what I didn't know at HIPAA. So when first you join InsureTech, you don't know what's going on. Like you're just learning and insurance industry in every country is different, different rules, different audience, different everything. With me coming to Dells and I already know, or at least I have a clear picture, knowing is a, is a very, <laughs> is a very uh, um, uh, big statement, but at least I have a good picture of what needs to be done and do it in a way that I know it will be scalable and know it will want me to rewrite the entire code base and things like that. I think that's why I enjoy the challenge the most and getting getting all the feedbacks from agents and, and doing it correctly, I mm -hmm. think, unlike like, you know, just going for the unknown and correct as we go. Although, again, there are always correction. And you can plan one thing and you end up with a bit different thing, which is great because you need real-time feedback. I think that's what attracted me the most in joining uh, Dallas. And yeah, it was quite a journey from using a simple form stack form to submit and someone manually went to the system and typed in everything, copy-pasted everything, and then emailed back the agent and they emailed them back and email and so forth and so on to create a whole uh, online experience for agents from A to Z. That's an amazing uh, an amazing journey, I think. And it doesn't happen very often. Um, so that's what really appealed to me. I'm building my vision of, of the technology in the company. And, you know, we'll see what the result will be. Hopefully they'll be good. At, at least until now, the feedback is quite positive. Again, always a place to improve, but we always yeah. need to improve. Yeah, I know that's um, it's quite an achievement already in the in the short space of time. And what kind of stood out to me was the first thing that you said about how's the journey been? It's about bringing the right people um, around you. That was the kind of first thing that you were quite clear on why it's been such a already successful journey. I mean, the dynamic of the team at Delos is really interesting to me, you know, leading fire scientists, expert underwriting staff, along with the tech team that you've built. I mean, that was clear. There's clearly been a high point in building something successfully in that six month uh, ramp there. But what's been the interesting? I'm always kind of curious to know the biggest challenges that you faced in such again insurance is complex enough, and couple that with the the climate space, the catastrophe modeling at the moment. Like, what's been the you know any challenges or lows that you've you've overcame that you're you're willing to share? Um, yeah, I think part of the challenges are the. You know, we are remote first, so working completely okay. remote from the get-go. So how do you connect a new team? You know, wh when COVID happened and people went remote, it's usually been teams that work together for a few years, and the cohesion was there. Hmm. Starting a team from across the world, I have uh, two amazing developers in the U.S. and one developer uh, outside the U.S. in, in Brazil, and, and one developer in the U.S., and and data scientists uh, uh, and all the rest of the team basically based in US and California. 
So working this international team and getting them to to mix and to work well together is in remote environment when nobody knows insurance. Uh, that's that's super interesting and 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 I think that was one of the major challenges because in insurance, like a developer is a developer. We write code, the code does yeah. something, magic happens. I always call it like we're doing tricks, right? Magic tricks. Yeah. Like we write something out of nothing and suddenly things happen in the world or at least in the, in the virtual world, let's call it this way. So getting a bunch of people um, to also understand insurance, I think that's the major uh, 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 that's the major challenge for any CTO in an insure tech because you need to make everybody needs to understand what insurance is because you can't just I need every developer to be aware of the limitation of insurance because the code has almost no limitation we can do everything it's more towards what's the product what's our mission as you mentioned what's what we what what is what is our what are our customers what does our customer needs right we can do a lot of cool things in the code but are they necessary? Because developers, again, as, as usually, and this is the kind of developers I love, want to innovate, want to do new stuff, want to do cool stuff, which is all amazing, but they not necessarily need them now. So mm. to teach them to learn to aim for the 80-20 rule, which I love, get to the 80, we'll miss 20, we'll deal with it. Well, then we'll miss 10, then we'll miss 5, we will never get to 100. So I think that's in insurance, it's even more challenging because there's so many restrictions and rules and you have to be compliant and and our agents are the audience. So you don't want also to aggravate agents and you need to be respectful. Part of the reason we did this online portal because time is money for agents. They work on commissions. That's the livelihood. If they bind six policies a day, that's six commissions. If they just do two because they and they work the same time, then they made one third of the of the profit of the salary they for the day. So how do we, on one hand, make it more efficient, but on the other hand, we do not make shortcuts and round corners in order to get there, coming back to InsureTech 1.0 versus 2.0. So that's the challenges that you need to educate the team of how to work like that and how to think like that, which I, again, I have all the compliments in the world for, for the team and for how they adjusted and how they learned insurance and went to talk to underwriters and to sales agents and to understand how the flow works. And I think that's the main, again, I think from technology perspective and any company in SureTech, um, that's the main challenge of getting the people to understand the product mm-hmm. before even the mission, because the mission is great. Bring it to the people. But how do you do that? What's the limitation? Where do you, What's your sandbox? I think that's the main thing. Yeah, really reverse engineering it. I mean, agents must love it. They must they must love what you've built already in a short amount of yeah. time. We got good feedbacks. Again, we have our uh, pros and cons. Some agents think it should be faster and easier. But yeah, of course they <laughs> want it faster and easier. Come, we come, all do. Come please, everyone. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, being overall, the feedback is good. I mean, being an executive search as a, as a business, as you know, that's what we do. Podcasting is not quite the job yet, but hopefully soon it will be. But um, it's all about finding those tools to help you, you know, just to make your life simpler on a day-to-day basis. There's so many moving parts to, for example, these agents' jobs. And, you know, that's why I could really empathize with how much the majority of them, as I say, you can't please everyone, but the majority of them would... Um, would love it. I mean, I guess going back to more of the, the problem space that is, you know, um, climate risk solutions, to me, um, I read about it a lot. You know, it's something that 
personally, you know, I'm obviously not from, uh, don't live in San Francisco and California, but you know, we, we all, we all read about it all over the world. And it seems to me like at the moment we're in this kind of strange, but positive kind of risk modeling arms race at the moment. You know, people talk about an AI arms race, you know, it seems like we're kind of in a risk modeling arms race in California at the moment with regard to climate risk solution. Like, what do you feel that it is, you know, that really sets you apart? I think I maybe touched on it, you know, you've got leading experts, but on top of that, you know, what do you think sets you apart from others innovating and managing risks associated with catastrophes? You know, is it, for example, you know, the AI, the data modeling, the machine learning that plays a huge part in your tech stack, or is it, have you opted to build your own risk model or have you, have you opted to buy and integrate? Like, what do you feel that it is that sets you, you guys apart? So I think what mainly sets us apart is A, the amount of data points we take into account and B is the uh, how fast we can we can get the, the model up to date with recent events that are happening, for instance, the hurricane and things like that mm. uh, and get it, get it like to learn with double quotes, um, how to uh, anticipate that risks. And and again, having one of the best people there uh, uh, that manages that and, and keep it up to date. And also that I think our algorithm is also proven in a sense that we're already selling it for a year. So it's we have a very low less, loss ratio. So that's proven. And thank God, touch wood, uh, not, not wildfire. But also because we we actually tested it on all the campfire and the lightning fire that happened in the Bay Area in what 2020 I think and other fires, and it's proven itself every time every time and and it places we deemed risky were actually burnt in the campfire like we just put it on the campfire before and we saw exactly how it mapped it out and this is not after effect this is like we put it on before effect like how it looked back then before the fire. So I think what what really what really makes us unique is the amount of data we collect and the how fast we update the data. We don't need a year to update the algorithm. We don't need half a year. We can do it really really fast. And also at the end, we have the query to understand the risk takes milliseconds because it maps into a database table magically, of course, because everything in development is magic. <laughs> and we're just doing a database query at the end, asking. With this for this house with this longitude and latitude, what is the risk? And we have what we call the Delo score, which we get back plus some other scores, uh, subscores, and we understand in a really in a fraction of a moment is this risk good or bad. So that's part of the service we give to our agents is if they when they put an address, before we even go to underwriting with our partner home site, or we are launching a new program very soon, before we go into our own underwriting, we give you a quick yes no. Either your house is eligible from a fire perspective, wildfire perspective, or not. So you'll get an answer after less than a second. And this, again, helps you as much as we want to say fast yes. Agents are super happy with a faster no, because then they just don't waste their time on, on putting a lot of details and get a no at the end. That's the most painful point, I think, with agents. They're spending five minutes to get a no or something they could have got in the beginning. So we're not looking to harvest data from them. We're looking for... Give us the address plus a few basic details. We'll give you a fast yes, no. And if we said yes, please move on. Unless there's something with the underwriting itself. You know, you have, I don't know, you're, you have 70 employees in your house and then can't write it. We're good. Just look at the price, decide if you want it, and, and move, the, move the, with the purchase. 
Mm. So I think that's what makes us uh, unique in the industry, especially again in the wildfire arena. And we are looking at, uh, to expand beyond California. It's in the works, but uh, probably towards the end of next year, mid next year to end of next year. Mm. And as you scale and scale that infrastructure, does that kind of option of um, buy versus build kind of come into? Do you start maybe integrating? You know, like you've got these solutions, Moody's, RMS, um, you know, risk platforms, like, or do you kind of feel like what you guys are building there is scalable from purely bespoke and internal um, way of doing that? Yeah, so we think it's scalable and we just, again, we, California is, is an amazing state on the aspect that they have so much data on wildfire. It's it's crazy. I think that the state with the most information and, and CAL FIRE yeah. are using that information as well. So it's a good thing they have this information. I think the main challenge with other states is they usually have less information, but we're getting there and we're collecting more and more. So I don't think it's a buy because nobody and you know, I'm subjective, so it's not exactly fair, mm. but I will say it anyway. I don't think anybody come close to what we have. And mm. um, so for the wildfire area, we will not we will not buy because we would prefer to. This is our match. This is our module. Yeah. Uh, as we said, everybody can sell insurance in a sense. I'm putting a very asterisk there. It's not exactly everybody, but it's not rocket science to sell insurance. And it should take 1.0 open the door. Hmm. it's how you do it responsibly. And this is our magic, the algorithm that we have to understand, okay, yes, no, is this a valid risk? And again, we're just talking about wildfire because when you yeah. look at the overall risk of a house, many things can happen, right? You can light a match, throw it in the living room and the house will burn. That's not a wildfire. That's a fire risk, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it seems like you make it sound all so simple, you know, we just do this, we just do that, and it produces a yes or no, and then boom. <laughs> it's, it's like magic. <laughs> but, like, it seems like, you know, large carriers are, are trying to constantly make sense of the ever-rising global risk based on outdated, you know, cat catastrophe model, attack, uh, outdated catastrophe models. And, you know, as you touched on at the beginning, we've seen large um, national carriers reducing their California homeowners' exposure you know, whereas you guys are, are doubling down. Um, like, where do you feel like, again, because you put it in such a simplistic way, like for you, where do you feel like the gaps are in, in wildfire modeling? And what do you think needs to happen in, in the broader sense to, to improve that? So I think a lot of it is A, I think if I can summarize into two, I think two yeah. or three things is A is granularity. We're able to be very granular, while other models usually have very, very blanket coverage. It's a zip code. It's a, it's an area a square of I don't know, twenty miles, twenty square miles, ten square miles. They deem the entire. They look at it with the same glasses at the, at an area, and, and just look at oh, it's very green. So okay, fire score seven because it's green, without understanding the deeper points of, of the specific resolution. The second thing is predicting weather patterns, which we also do. So we, we do know that Santa Ana winds are coming at, at March or May or whatever, and it affects the area like that. We know, okay, it rained a lot. People don't think about the people, everybody, yeah, rain reduces fires, fire risk, right? Because everything is wet. But when it rained a lot in the area of San Diego, which doesn't, doesn't, usually, uh, doesn't usually rain there towards Palm Springs, then you have a lot of vegetation that suddenly becomes green because, hey, water, right? Everybody everybody goes out to party. But then when the sun hits, everything, everything becomes yellow. And here you go. An area that had zero risk because it was just sand 
suddenly have so much dead vegetation and fuel, then here we go. This is jump from zero to, I don't know, to 20, whatever the score is. So suddenly you have a jump there and we know to, we know, okay, there's a lot of rain in this area. That doesn't reduce the risk. That's going to increase the risk because we're not insuring for a month. We're insuring for a year. So we have all four seasons. I know many states and countries don't have four seasons per se, but we are here for four seasons for everything that can happen in a year and all the events that happen once every 100 years, every year, uh, we, we're going to go through them. And the third thing is, again, uh, the the amount of data points and understanding. We, we're even looking underground to see how much fuel. People think, okay, we have this. There's so much vegetation. There is dead vegetation. Great. But think about the years going. There's dead vegetation. It goes into the ground. Then another layer, another layer, another layer. Now you have dead vegetation and nothing really dissolves completely, but you have what we call so much fuel even under the soil. Like you can have a fuel feet under soil, which we also take into account. And one of the fires that happened in California, actually the, so, uh, the, the fire was under the, under the soil because there was so much fuel under that it burned there. And there's always small holes that allow the oxygen to get in. So it's not a fire like we use like a blaze, but at some point it will hit the root or hit some trees and go upwards. Suddenly the fire just jumps from the ground. And that's something that Cal Fire are also very aware of. And of course they have to, because this is how fire can travel through the roots and through the, through the fuel under the ground. So that's also part of, that's one example of a data point that not many take. And it's not an easy data point to take because you need, you need data, you need to calculate the data, you need to understand. So that's, I think the main three things that help us to differentiate and again, and also be able to write the risk. And as you said, we embrace insurance in California while others, unfortunately, and I'm saying like, you know, we want to sell more policies, but on the other hand, I don't want people to pay more for the, for the surplus when they could have got a cheaper insurance from an admitted carrier. It's just that everybody got hurt so bad in California that they just said, we don't writing anymore. Yeah. That's not a good thing for the consumers and we hope it won't like my personal preference would be, Hey, let's get as many products to the consumers so they can choose the best option to cover them and not to be between Delos and the fair plan. <laughs> and another issue, yeah. by the way, we have is, as we said, get reduce the fair plan. We're working with California on that and trying to, and we want to help them to reduce the risk on the fair plan because the fair plan is, it's not a tax. I think it's, if, from my understanding, it's not necessarily on the tax from your tax dollars, but it's not a healthy program to maintain. It costs a lot of money to maintain. So we're also mm-hmm. trying to get people off it uh, with the help of uh, of home, not to, with the help of other carriers as well, and trying to with agents trying to say, hey, get your customers uh, from the fair plan out of the fair plan here, buy our product, mm-hmm. uh, which is better uh, and it's it's more reliable and it's here to stay. Um, yeah. so. That's, I think, overall. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, again, you just, it's quite stunning how much the home insurance market in California, as I said at the beginning, is broken and wildfire risk is not going anywhere. And, and neither are the people, you know, but I think you've highlighted the importance of the insure techs working with, you know, governmental bodies. But, you know, I keep reading and again, hearing of the real estate climate bubble in, in the US and dwellings because of, departing insurers you know a massive decline in value in terms of property and again just going back to how important 
you feel, and, and and I guess more of a broader sense, not just Delos, you know, how important the role of insurance and insure sex is now more than ever to protect people's homes, valuations, where they can live in terms of peace of mind, and not just in North America, but other parts of the world where there are high-risk communities. Like, how, how important do you feel insurance and insure sex play a role in that? So, funny thing, funny anecdote is when back in the 2007-2008 crisis, when when the Obama administration uh, rescued AIG, I think it was. I remember people people later, not not even then, back then, like even four five years ago, six years ago, coming to me and say, "Yeah, why did we spend money on insurance companies? It's not it's not fair. They are private companies." I uh, the answer was insurance makes the world go round. Basically, I know it's a big statement, but Nothing will move, and I'm not talking about the home insurance. Nothing will move in the world without insurance. Nobody will sail a ship without insurance. Nobody will fly a plane without insurance. Part of the reason planes don't fly to conflict areas is not because the airline doesn't necessarily want to fly there. It's the insurance premium is so expensive that they won't fly there. It's basically having no insurance, and no company will fly planes to an area that they're not covered by insurance. And the same thing applies to the oil industry. Nothing will move on the roads unless you have insurance. So insurance is not a nice to have. It's an integral part of the modern economy. Mm. And and then comes home insurance that most people need to lend money, right? To buy a home. So everybody wants to insure their money. So no lender will lend you money unless you insure your house. Because if it burns down, then they lost all the collateral. You can say, okay, I'm not paying you the rest of the loan because I don't have a house. And they'll say, okay, so we'll take your house. Say, Great, here you go. <laughs> this is where it used to be. Enjoy the lot. The lot cost $50,000. The house was worth $500,000. Not exactly. And I'm not talking about the Bay Area specifically. Like it's, the yeah. lots there cost a lot of money. Sometimes more actually than the actual house. I'm talking about general US and the world and, and California. Yeah. So I think, and that part, InsurTech will, I hope, will allow uh, uh, California and other places to be smarter on insurance and to suffer less Losses. Let's face it. The reason comp- companies, carriers, and and others are folding out of California is because of loss loss ratio. It's not that they lost. There are no people there. There are almost forty million people in California. It's not because of lack of houses. It's not because of lack of new constructions. There's tons of new construction in California. The house market is still selling uh, every day. We work with uh, with builders. I work with people with builders. Tons of builders. It's because the loss ratio is. Basically, they're losing money. And, and when you lose money in a place, you close the shop, right? You don't keep the shop open and lose money there and bleed money because you need to report to your stakeholder. You need to pay salaries. You need to make profit. Not a super big profit, but still make something for your shareholders. So I think InsureTech is, I don't think it's the solution, but it's another, like tech, right? Tech is not the solution. Tech is another tool in your tool belt to provide a better solution. So I think InsureTech specifically and the tech in, in particular are one of the greatest tools to solve this issue. Assuming mm-hmm. we have the access to the data, assuming people know to analyze the data and not just trying to make a gimmick, which Dallas really knows how to do that. And that's, I think, part of what will make it very successful. Yeah, I mean, um, super interesting insight and um yeah, powerful as well, you know, to, to see the role that, that InsureTech can play in such a, a macro event that affects everyone. Um, 
yeah, I think maybe moving on, you know, I think we've we've we've, we've had some fantastic um, insight from you on on the subject. But um, one thing I do love to discuss is, and again, we've kind of touched on it earlier on, but you know, on this podcast, particularly in the tech series, is with regards to the tech teams and culture and you know technology professionals coming into the world of insurance i'm always interested in that intersection from those coming from outside insurance as you touched on why how important that is you know you came from a pretty small company in hippo <laughs> how you know how beneficial do you feel was that experience of being involved in a hugely successful insure tech coming into delos like do you feel it's something that should be a big factor when hiring for your business as you as you even from the early stages, or is it more at a critical point? Like I get lots of different answers on this. So I'm, you know, keen to kind of hear from you who's kind of been there and wore the t shirt and yeah. Yeah, I would love to hire engineers that've been to InsureTech for a few years. Um, but as much as we like to think ourselves as the main industry in the insur- in the technology industry, we are a small beep on, on the radar. There's so many like companies that we know of and a lot of companies that they don't even know of. Like every time you look for a job, you suddenly realize there are 20,000 companies you never heard of with all kinds of different letters in the name. And so I think there is an advantage of hiring someone with InsureTech experience because you don't have the learning curve. They know to develop. I'm assuming everybody knows to develop. Yeah. But as I said, I think it's important for for a developer in InsureTech to know the product as well. And Mm. beyond the technology know the know the the big boxes right the underwriting how it works what we like how do you create an insurance product yeah. it's not just okay we're putting something on a piece of paper there are big boxes there that do something that decide something that you rate something how do you do that what what's the best to use what's the maintenance there and things like that and we're talking about buy versus build and luckily for us in the last six years seven years a lot of things were built and by others, which we can actually buy, raters, uh, underwriting engines, things, that document generations, there are a lot of things that are out there that if if you know how everything works, it's much, much, much easier to understand the needs. Mm. So, I've and I think for every developer in InsurTech, and again, I saw it proven and I'm doing it again, they have to understand uh, insurance. I don't want them to be underwriters. I don't want them to be sales agents. But they need to understand exactly what's the process. They need to understand exactly what the other side experience as well. Because without them knowing that, they won't bring good ideas to the table. A lot of the ideas that are coming are coming from developers because they combine both worlds. They know the limitation and abilities of tech. And they know the needs and the limitations there are in the real world. So you can combine them both and not just come up or they will create this, but the insurance is here. You're not, mm. you're not getting there. It's, it's okay, you're preaching to the 10%. I don't need it yeah. for the ten percent. I want to build a solution for the ninety percent out. So yeah. I think it's not a must for hiring, but I think it's a must for a successful insure tech developer team, development team. So it's, for me, it's a must. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I mean, yeah, um, but I do appreciate what you're saying. You know, you miss out on a lot of fantastic people that can bring that product mindset that are entrepreneurial can do more than just execution and, and engineering so but yeah within insure tech if you can get it then yeah every day of the week you would you would take someone and um, providing everything else of course falls into place and you know kind of as a finishing point um you mentioned something earlier at the beginning which was a challenge around connecting the dots as a as a remote team you know, what do you feel? What do you think so far has worked well for you as a CTO? And 
in building this hugely diverse team with a very unique blend of, of skill sets. How, from a remote setup, you know, fully remote, um, the job is never done, right? Building culture, it's never you, you don't complete culture, but um, like, what do you think's worked well for you in in in, in creating that high performing team that uh, harbors a an inclusive environment like the environment that an in office would give you? What what's your kind of secrets or stories of success so far? I think the main thing for me, and 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 this is part of what ingrained to me through through growing in Israel culture-wise is lead by example. I think if you lead by example and you are enthusiastic and you show that enthusiasm, and, and again, let's, I want to put it out there. Insurance is not something that you grow up and you say, I want to be in insurance industry. You want to be a fireman, you want to be a doctor, you want to be a lawyer, whatever the shows are on. I didn't see many shows about insurance agents or the insurance industry. So lead by example and show enthusiasm for, for what you do. And the team will just, it, it's, it's infectious, right? Like if you are showing the team and you're doing stuff, they'll follow. If you're showing enthusiasm and, and celebrate success, everybody will celebrate it with you. So that's kind of my secret sauce, which is not so secret now, uh, to get this, <laughs> this, this car moving. And then you have the ceremonies, which because it's remote, so it's not like I can turn around, tap on Leo's shoulder and say, what's going on? So, yeah. and I, on the other hand, Zoom meetings are very expensive and they're disrupting. And again, you don't know where you catch them. Developers are very accelerated, work on acceleration, right? We go into it and we accelerate and we get velocity and we program. Any disturbance, we'll, okay, we stop the car and now you need to get into the zone again. So with remote, it's harder to understand where you are. So let's disturb it, trust the team, build the trust, okay? Because you need to build it through daily uh, ceremonies, through updates, through them pushing, learn, teaching them, okay, guys, you need to push information. I don't want to pull information. If I'm pulling information, I'm disrupting you. That's not healthy. Through teaching them how to push information uh, to the team itself, not just for me. Mm-hmm. And things like that, that build a culture of, I think, success. And as I mentioned before, but I'll mention it again, celebrating, celebrating success. Mm-hmm. Um, because the nice thing about development and tech is you can see it. it. Although it's virtual, you can see it. You can see screens, you can see functionality, you can get feedback from agents, you can, et cetera, et cetera. So celebrate that success and make sure the team knows about it. Like when sometimes people say, hey, Eric, great on private Slack, great work with a feature. I'm like, Alec, thank you for, for doing that. I'm like, guys, go to the general channel, Leo or Gian or 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 Scott, they did this feature, and, and say good word there. I don't want it to come from me. I'm the manager. Like it's it's the easiest thing for me to do. I want it to come from other departments as well. So they'll see they'll see real world effect. I think once developers see real world effect, it creates more motivation. So it's kind of a good snowball, a positive snowball uh, that just encourage them and getting them to be better. And I I have a team now that. I don't even need to ask too much. I'm just saying, hey, we have an issue. Okay, what can we do to help? And showing examples. And if I'm not sure, they're sending screenshots. So the culture we built, and it's mainly because of them. I, I can set an example and I can do as, as something as far as I can, right? At the end of the day, if you build a good team, then they'll take it the rest of the way. And luckily for me, and again, there's a lot of luck there because when you interview someone, 
it's what you meet them for three hours at best. Yeah. I wouldn't marry my wife after three hours of dating. So we kind of, <laughs> I always say it like we need still to understand and mistakes happen sometimes. I also had bed hires, which didn't yeah. work out. So it's a matter of luck. And, and luckily for me, I was lucky enough to, to have this amazing team, which drives everything forward. Mm. Well, it's, um, it's not a secret anymore, but um, it's not exactly reinventing the wheel. As you say, it's just leading by example and, showing up and, and doing all the right things and, and motivating your team, keeping them engaged. And, but yeah, easier said than done. Um, yeah, so definitely. yeah, it's, it sounds like you've um, so far got it spot on, but um, I think that, you know, I'm conscious of your time and, you know, we've overran a little bit. So I really do appreciate your time, Eric. It's been, it's been really great to have you on and to hear all about Delos, talk about the space and, and to finish on those points there. Um, so yeah, thank you for coming on. Thank you, Gavin, and have a good night and great weekend.